Pastor Xavier Reese marvels at a truly priceless gift. Jesus is the object of the gospel message. He's the Messiah. He's the revealer of the Father, John 1.18. No one else. He purchased from our sins and sat down. The work of atonement has been done. All you got to do is pick up your, your benefit. That's why it's so great. The gospel that offers the gift of eternal life through grace, through faith. Great salvation. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most people are willing to give 100% commitment to their careers, often at the expense of their family and friends. Well, today, Pastor Xavier reminds us of the importance of a life devoted to Christ, a commitment that's anchored to the Lord, he says, is one that enables man to stay on a course that reaps eternal riches. Open your Bible to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 2, for today's study. Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And the message is entitled, Drifting is Eternally Dangerous. Let me read. Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast in every transgression and disobedience, receive a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The, the author, he's just so concerned about them as a spiritual father. And so he warns them about their drifting away from this great salvation that's been trusted to them, marked by these three things. Verse 1, the proclamation of the warning. Verse 2 and 3, you have the explanation of the warning. And then verse 4 gives us the verification that strengthens the warning. The proclamation of the warning. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Now, notice the specific to heed are clearly stated. To the things we have heard, the words God has spoken about and through the Son, lest we drift away. Notice secondly, the explanation of the warning is found in verse 2 and 3. First in verse 2, these Hebrews are reminded of the plain fact regarding the consequence if a person disobeyed the law in the past. He tells them that the law was spoken through the angels on Mount Sinai. The author told these Hebrews that God held his people in effect here, responsible for the word that they had received and the one he had revealed to them. These Hebrews were reminded about the plain fact regarding the severe consequences of a person disobeying the gospel in the present. Verse 3, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If those under the law that which was mediated by angels could not escape judgment from the law and the hand of God. And we have many examples. They had them. These were Hebrews. The men who followed Korah in the rebellion, God opened up the earth and swallowed them up in Numbers 1632. Achan took of the accursed thing, the Babylonian garment, the silver and the gold. They stoned him. They knew about punishment. How dare you think you can escape? Those who neglect the message of the Son face a fate worse than mere physical death by those of the Old Testament. 
eternal death. We're all going to die physically. But as a Christian, death really by the Bible is defined by eternal separation from God. That's what he's talking about here. Notice he tells them exactly what they are guilty of. If we neglect so great salvation, they were not taking heed to what they had heard about Jesus in the gospel. They wanted to return to animal sacrifices for the atonement of their sin. Great. Look at that word. Great salvation. Jesus is the object of the gospel message. He's the Messiah. He's the revealer of the Father, John 1.18. No one else. The adjective is describing the immense value and the pricelessness of the particular salvation for what has been given. Man is lost in and through the Son, the full and complete revelation. That's why it's so great. The gospel that offers the gift of eternal life through grace, through faith. He's already told us in chapter 1, verse 3, he purchased from our sins and sat down. The work of atonement has been done. All you got to do is pick up your, your benefit. Now notice also, he says, this great salvation is also identical with the salvation confirmed to them by those who heard the Lord. So not only by the Lord, but now those who heard the Lord. The word confirm, like in verse 2, means sure, firm, trustworthy, or like the vernacular, valid. This great salvation was complete and final through the Son. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, Paul says in, Rome, in Galatians 3.24. It was to guide us over to Christ. He's the one. Like that song, Washington Twain, you're still the one. Even after all these years, you're still the one. I hope that's your song to the Lord. Notice these Hebrew Christians would incur the greater punishment in their neglect of the greater salvation that those who transgressed and disobeyed in the past, the law. Spoken through angels because they had a greater responsibility than Israel due to the clearer and complete revelation. Lesser to the greater. Lesser to the greater. They're drifting aimlessly at the mercy of the current and not giving heed to the things they had heard would lead them off course without any escape, leading to what? Catastrophe under the judgment of God. We've already seen in chapter 1 the whole background in those quotes of the Psalms is the second coming and judgment. He's already begun with that. Some think that the judgment doesn't come to chapter 10. No, no, no. He's, he begins from the beginning, and he keeps pointing to it. In fact, he will later say in uh, chapter 10, verse 28 and 31, one of the severest warnings, he says, uh, anyone who has rejected Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment, lesser to the greater, do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 28-31. There is no escaping God from judgment. How much more? those who have allowed themselves to drift away from this great salvation. He tells us in chapter 4, verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. We, he's talking to Christians. 
the very same one who rewards punishment is the same one who is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him in Hebrews 11.6. Which way, on what side of the counter do you want to receive reward? There are some who hear the gospel and are never born again, though we may think they are. This is very clear in Scripture. In fact, Jesus constantly spoke about the Pharisees, religious people. There are a lot of people who just get turned on to religion, even in Christianity. They're they just religious. And they're not born again. They smell like Christians, talk like Christians, walk like Christians, crack like Christians, but they're not Christians. Okay? John tells us plainly, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. 1 John 2, 19. So absolutely, some people are never born again. Now, if you're a Reformed theologian or Calvinist, you say that's what always happens. That's not what always happens. That's one possibility. Absolutely clear. Jesus taught it. John tells us this. But the warnings in the New Testament is always to the believer, not the non-believer. The unbeliever is lost already. The, non the unbeliever cannot drift from this great salvation. Only a Christian can, right? Think with me, okay? You evangelize. You call the non-believer to repent. You don't say, hey, you're drifting. You're drifting from your salvation. What are you talking about? They don't know Christ. They're lost, remember? We were pushing our boat away from the dock. I don't go to the dock. You kidding? I think many more have neglected this great salvation through carelessness while some have rejected it. How many young men and young women and even adults do I know are out there drifting away from Christ and have drifted from what they know? They're in the world, man. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. Kids who have been raised in the church. Pastor's kids. They have free will. Your kids. Your in-laws. Your friends. Maybe you this morning. Peter puts it this way. 2 Peter 2, 20 and 21. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, after they escape the pollution, okay, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now, you're going to tell me those people weren't born again? How do you escape the pollution of the world if you're not born again? Who's Peter talking to? Hebrew Christians, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. This is the explanation of the warning. It's clear, isn't it? You can't interpret this any other way. But notice lastly, the verification that strengthens the warning. This is the nail in the coffin, okay? Verse 4. First of all, God bore witness of this gospel in the last days with signs when the gospel was announced. The preaching of the gospel was accompanied with signs, first of all. And the gospel uh, was verified or literally accompanied with supernatural phenomena. The word witness simply means to attest together with. The gospel and signs were one. The correlation was that this great salvation is from the throne of God, where the Son is seated. Greater privilege than going up to the Mount and Sinai. 
The, 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 the argument goes back and forth. It's progressive. Each one is the foundation of the next one. Now, the word sign means a mark or a token of a miraculous nature pointing to God as a source. You're going to leave here today. You're going to go to the It says stop, stop sign. It tells you what to do. It says yield to the left. Signs point you to direction. They guide you. Signs point men to God. They guide men to God. Jesus gave the Jews only one sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. As he spent three days and three nights in the heart, in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, the resurrection. Last sign, one sign pointed to him. In fact, Paul says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.22, that uh, the Jews seek a sign to be convinced. Now, there are a lot of people today seeking signs, signs and wonders. <laughs> Notice, secondly, God bore witness with wonders when the gospel was announced, secondly. So the preaching of the gospel was accompanied with wonders, not only signs. And the word wonder uh, describes the response to watching something of the supernatural nature, something defying the normal laws, giving evidence that God is present, God is in control of this. So you look, you go, wow, I can't believe the Lord healed her completely of cancer. The Lord, I tried to quit smoking for, for 10 years. I don't have craving. Wow, God did it. Hmm. Paul says the Gentiles seek wisdom for, to be convinced in 1 Corinthians 1.22 also. Interesting. But not only that, notice thirdly, God bore witness with the various miracles when the gospel was announced. Once again, the Hebrew Christians not only had this great salvation preached to them, but they had confirmation that was giving them evidence that God was acting in their midst. They had no excuse. The miracles were of all sorts. The word various means manifold, variegated, different kinds. Peter and John went to the gate called Beautiful, the temple there in Acts 3, 1 through 7. Silver and gold have I none, such as I have given I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Wow. Peter raised up Tabitha from the dead in Acts 9, 40. Without doubt, these individuals had probably seen the healings of blind, the deaf, the dumb. They didn't have only the message. They had the power of God evident. Greater accountability. Now notice, fourthly, God bore witness with gifts of the Holy Spirit when the gospel was announced. The reference to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as you know, they're spiritual gifts. There are 21 gifts given to us in the New Testament, the listings in Paul, Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, and 1 Peter 4, 10, he speaks about we all have at least one gift, many gifts. Uh, the book of Acts reveals to us that uh, when the preaching went on, uh, prophecy appeared, uh, tongues appeared, there was healings, uh, all kinds of different things that went on, evidence all over. The operation of the gifts would be accompanied with um, the gift of faith, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, uh, discerning the spirits, uh, many of those things. We see it through the book of Acts, the only book that's really the church history for us. It's, it's history. God is the same today as he ever is forevermore. So all these gifts were operative. They saw them. But notice lastly and important, God bore witness with signs, wonders, and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit when the gospel was announced. Listen, according to his will, the gifts followed the word, not the reverse. Years ago, 15, 20 years ago, we had Mr. John Wimber 
who taught signs and wonders and made it a big thing. He went over to England, make a big stir, telling people they're going to be healed. They would teach you how to heal. In fact, people he told to be healed, they died. In fact, he died of cancer himself. Okay? And power evangelism, signs and wonders, and then people get saved. No, no, no. They get saved through the Word of God. And as the Word of God goes forth, then God in His mercy does things in people's lives. You understand? You follow signs and wonders, you're going to be misled. The gifts verify the message and the power of Jesus. Remember Naaman? Naaman went to get healed of his leprosy, remember? And uh, when he was told to go dunk himself in the muddy Jordan, he got upset, started back. Good thing he had a wise servant. He said, oh, come on, guy. You know, we've gone this long. It's a long trip. Go dunk yourself. You don't get healed. Who cares? We go back. What do you got to lose? Okay, well, boom, 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 boom. Pink as a baby. Whoa. And the text says, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and he came and stood before him, and he said, indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. 1 Kings 5, 15 through 17. He heard the word. He neglected it. He stepped out. God verified the word. He embraced it. I expect to see Naaman in heaven. He said, forgive me when I go into the pagan temple. I'll be worshiping Yahweh, not them. Pretty good, huh? The ministry of Jesus consisted in a very important balance. He went about preaching, teaching, and healing. Every church, every Christian should have this balance. You should be studying the Word of God through teaching, from the pulpit and on your own. You should be exposed to preaching for the non-believer as we do in evangelism in different ways, and you have the opportunity one-on-one -on -one or wherever you're at, or in missions. And then you should have a time when you sit waiting on the Lord, where you would come in an afterglow. We pray for you, or you pray for yourself, whatever it is, and you let God deal with your heart for your needs. Very important. What happens too often is people are, are, are off balance. They get lopsided, and they focus on prophecy. You got prophecy buffs. It's like the guy's in the gym, you know? He's behind the counter. You go, whoa, that dude's big. Then he gets off from behind the counter. He's got these two little shoestrings coming out of his pants. <laughs> you go, whoa, what happened to you, dude? That's the picture of some Christians. Prophecy, prophecy, why? Teaching, teaching, teaching. Preaching, preaching, preaching. Gifts, gifts, gifts. Balance. I need all three. You know, a three-legged stool needs all three legs. <laughs> Good balance. The gifts are still valid for today, though some teach that they're not. Paul implied this very clearly. There's many things, but let me just give you some. 1 Corinthians 1.7, he tells this to the Corinthians. So that you come short and no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. By that opening statement, Paul implies that the gifts will be operative until the Lord returns. Okay? He goes on to instruct them on the gifts in chapter 12, 13, and 14 because they were being abused and misused, basically and primarily in tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. And throughout that three teaching, 
three-chapter teaching, he says, seek the best of the gifts. He never says, don't seek them or they're over with. But many try to point out in chapter 13 where Paul says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. And they say, see, that which is imperfect will be done away. That which is imperfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. That which is perfect is the canon. We have the word of God. We don't need the gifts anymore. Listen, there is no Greek scholar that would ever agree with that. Every Greek scholar says that which is perfect refers to Jesus Christ, not the word of God. It is dishonest in its exposition and it is not honorable. But you're trying to force your Reformed theology or your Calvinism or whatever it is into the text. Let it speak for itself. Many people have experienced the preaching of the word, even signs and wonders, miracles and operations, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 7, and 23, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus teaches here, he never knew them. He backs up what 1 John says. They were never of the Lord. They were never born again. The question is now, you mean people can do miracles and all that without being Christians? Absolutely. That's why you need to know the word, to make sure if it's scriptural. Make sure if it's in the name of Jesus. Make sure if it's according to the word. Okay? Yet some have rejected the gospel of this great salvation and not been born again to their eternal loss. And some of these individuals is because they have mocked the gospel, they have mocked the gifts and rejected this gospel because they've been exercised in an extreme way. Circus-type atmosphere. But it's their choice, right? It's their eternal loss. Still others have embraced the great salvation. They have experienced miraculous gifts. They have experienced healing themselves. And they have walked with God. And now they've drifted from all those things. Embracing the gospel is one thing, and then having God verify the supernatural power in your life to cleanse you, to change you, to turn on the light is a greater condemnation. Now you're moving away from it. This is the verification that strengthens the warning that was from heaven. Hmm. Heavy, heavy text. And so this warning to these Hebrews about allowing themselves to drift away from the great salvation they had embraced is marked by these three simple, understandable truths. The proclamation of the warning was stern. The explanation of the warning was clear. And the verification that strengthened the warning was from heaven. Where are you at? Are you drifting? Or are you anchored? I hope you're anchored. Be faithful. Fall in love with Jesus. There's nothing in the world worth it. Honest. Storms will come. Stay in the stinking boat. If Jesus is in the boat, you can't perish. 
Stay in the boat. Don't drift. Pastor Xavier Reese and the one true anchor of life, able to support you even in the toughest of times. And you can request your own CD copy of today's message titled, Drifting is Eternally Dangerous, for only $4. And by the way, this will also include everything that was shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, Drifting is Eternally Dangerous. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, it's important that you include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This way we can check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What does Jesus have to do with Moses? That's the simple truth we'll be finding out next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.